executive director of the Massachusetts Coast Coast, opening you to the No Flood Newscast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Coast Coalition, with host myself, Joe Rossi, and co-host and vice chair of the Massachusetts Coast Coalition, Tim Williams. Tim, uh, thank you for uh, be, uh, having us uh, together again here on the No Flood Newscast. Uh, and, you know, we have a series, we, we've kind of entered into our fall season here uh, on the No Flood Newscast. Uh, and we had a great, as we talked about last time, we had a great summer series uh, of people who really were uh, very diverse in the industry in terms of uh, what they did. Uh, not just representing the industries that they were in, but also uh, stakeholders in general. Yeah, it was it was interesting to see the different perspectives from the engineers to, uh, you know, some of the guests that we had on, you know, we were able to talk about private flood versus NFIP. So it's always interesting. It's always good. And I'm um, looking forward to our next guest. Yeah. And, and with that, our next guest who's with us today is uh, Jim Albert. Uh, Jim is a titan in the industry and in many different perspectives that we're going to hear from him on today. So, Jim, welcome to the No Flood Newscast. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Tim. Really, really appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. And, and so as we do with most of our guests at, at some point during the discussion, um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what you do, uh, what Neptune um, flood insurance is and does um, and even a little bit of background about how you got yourself involved in the industry of flood. Sure. Yeah. First, I'll just start with Neptune. So Neptune's a private flood insurance company. We're based in Florida, but we're national. So we're across 43 states. By the end of October, we'll be in 48 states plus D.C. And it offers residential and commercial flood insurance. So both of those things. What's unique and different is that Neptune, it's a digital insurance company. So you can enter an address and you can have a policy within two minutes. Everything happens right there, completely online. You don't need an inspection of your house. You don't need an elevation certificate. You don't need a paper document to sign. It all happens in, in real time. And that's, that's helped a lot because one of the barriers to flood insurance, and we'll talk a lot, I think probably in the next 30 minutes or so about the coverage gap, but, but uh, people think flood is a complex purchase and it really doesn't have to be. So by making it super easy, and that's our goal, we try and make it super easy to buy flood insurance to help people that should have flood insurance but traditionally haven't gotten it and, uh, and expand the market that way. That's really interesting. And I think you're, you've done a great job um, and, and that's the one thing that I see in what Neptune is doing in the industry. You've done a great job at doing exactly that, helping to close um, that gap, uh, the, the gap between, you know, people that either don't want to buy it that end up purchasing it or those that just don't even have a clue and, and Tim and I have, have so much experience in the consumer space that we have heard pretty much everything when it comes to why somebody may not have a flood insurance policy um, anywhere from they don't like the, they think FEMA is the only option all the way to 
Um, they don't see the value because it's never flooded. But talk to us a little bit about um, you know, what Neptune is doing in, in the space of trying to close that gap because we have a lot of talking, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is the way that that Neptune in the industry is moving in towards in, in terms of doing that. But you know, talk to us a little bit about how Neptune is solving some of those issues. Sure, sure. I, I think it might help to uh, put some of the basic statistics on the table first, just to see how big this gap is. Yeah, that's actually great. Yeah, quantify that for, for yeah, if, if, if you. Yeah, so you think about insurance. First of all, no one ever wakes up in the morning and wants to buy insurance of any type, not even the three of us on this podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> we, we don't look forward to it. So, so you've got that starting with it. People, people are used to a one-click purchase process via, via Amazon, and yet that's not the experience in insurance. But in homeowners and auto, you have to have it. So it's not like it's optional. Someday you have to wake up and actually buy those things. But in flood insurance, not so much. So, so Verisk did a study last year, and they evaluated how many homes in America are at moderate to high risk of flooding. And their conclusion was 62 million homes. That's more than half the homes in the US. So moderate to high risk of flooding. The number of policies that exist at the residential level in the US right now is about 5.5 million. 5 million or so under the NFIP and maybe half a million with private flood insurers. So you can run those numbers. 62 million in need, five and a half million have it. So really the, the biggest market is those that do not have flood insurance. Yeah, we've turned a lot from NFIP over to the private markets. That's good for everybody because it moves it to, to, uh, to private risk pools. But, but the big opportunity and, and the big social need is how do you fill in that coverage gap of the people that, that don't know they're at risk, don't have a policy? So we did a survey, Joe, and, and this was just a couple months ago. So we published the results in July. And we surveyed thousands of people across the, the country of their perception of their flood risk. And, and so the, some of these things won't surprise you. One is that there's a very low perception of risk. Everybody thinks that it's, oh, it's those you know, high dollar homes on the Florida coast that are exposed to hurricanes. It's, it's not my house in Tennessee or Massachusetts or Pennsylvania. Uh, but in fact, just side statistic, every county in Pennsylvania, for example, had a flood last year, every single one. And that's not a coastal state, really. Um, the second conclusion was that most people under, underestimate the loss that occurs. So the statistic you probably use it with the Mass uh, Coastal Coalition is that one inch of flood equates to 25,000 or so of, of loss damage. But then they also overestimate the cost of flood insurance. So they think it's crazy expensive because they hear the horror stories of people that have $10,000 policies, whereas the average policy under the NFIP or, or at Neptune is a few hundred dollars. So, so, it's, so you can get, if, if the average loss is $50,000 and the average policy, especially outside of the mandatory zones is $500 or so, that's a heck of a deal. Um, and, the, and there are others. I mean, I could go on and on about the conclusions of the survey. One, one other interesting point about it was that mandates are important. So I think, as you guys know, if you have a mortgage and you live in a, in a high flood hazard area, then you are required to have 
flood insurance. However, 15% of the people on our survey said they would not buy it if they didn't have to. And even within those zones, only 25% of the homes within the high flood hazard areas actually have flood insurance. So I'm surprised so is, that, that number is only 15%. I thought it would be much higher. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's actually a good number. Yeah, um, yeah that's, but th that, those statistics are, are, are quite fascinating. Yeah, get back to that, Jim. You said, was it 25% of the people in the high risk zones don't? 25, only 25% do. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. getting at, yeah. Yeah, so 75% do surprising. not. Part of that is they don't have mortgages. Or yeah, right. Federally, federally backed mortgages. Yeah. I mean, there are a whole host of reasons for it. But I, for me, I, I, first of all, I can see the water from my house, though I'm not in a high hazard area, but I definitely have flood insurance. <laughs> my, uh, my state code is Florida, so that means... To me, I definitely need flood insurance. Right. Yeah, that was Roy Wright that I think said that if your license is uh, Florida, <laughs> that you absolutely should have flood insurance. Yeah. Uh, so so back to your question, Joe, just to finish the point is, sure. what, what do we do to help people understand? Because this is really the big social issue. And one yeah. is edu educate the consumer. So there are options like floodfactor.com that just came out from the First Street Foundation. There is the Neptune, Neptune site you can go to, and we do a lot to put information on there to help people understand their risk. Most importantly, help them understand what flood zone they're in and also what the cost is. Because even if you understand your risk, if you think it's crazy expensive, you're not likely to do anything about it. So with, at the Neptune site, you can go in and enter your information, get a real premium quote right then and there. Um, and then there are sites like what, what you guys have created at the Massachusetts Coastal Coalition. I think that's a fantastic site. You've got a lot of resources there and, and really doing a great job that if people are aware of it, they can go there and they can get a good read on what, what the risk is. Yeah, and that was the, and, that, and, and I, we appreciate that because one of the things that we've identified, one of the things that we've worked hard on the last few years is really making sure that, look, there's a bunch of information as you highlighted out there to understand risk. Um, but we're, in, we're really in the business of making sure people know what the cost is for them and understanding what flood zones they're in and the requirements for their flood insurance and what that, that cost might be. And on that point, um, you've also done a very good job at, at Neptune about uh, quantifying the cost of flood insurance. You've, uh, you've been able to, um, through your technology, and that's where uh, I, I'd like for us to talk a little bit is, is on the technology side, you've been able to really do a good job at understanding what the true flood risk is and what the cost of that is for consumers. So talk to us a little bit about um, how Neptune has leveraged uh, technology, new technology, how, and, 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 and explain to us a little bit how in your time uh, this has changed, um, because it hasn't always been put an address in, in in general for everyone it hasn't you know now we're seeing this happen where you put an address in you pick your coverages and great you get a quote that you can bind online that's that's neptune's revolutionary model but three years ago five years ago you know we didn't even have a lot of private flood options to begin with so talk to us about your technology and how you're doing that but also talk to us a little bit about how you've watched that evolution happen yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. It actually goes back to why I started Neptune. So the you think about the flood market, it's dominated by the National Flood Insurance Program. It's a 50-year-old program. It's 
It's uh, the flood maps are dated. Even FEMA will, will say that they know their flood maps are dated. And, and the process is very manual. It's 54 questions. It's a 30 day wait period. You have to have an inspector come do an elevation certificate. You pay $400 for that. Uh, it's, so I was looking at that and I've spent a career in technology and only a few years in insurance, but the technology was focused on, for example, my consulting firm worked with HP and Sony and Microsoft back in the day when they were creating their first transactional websites to, to sell their product online. And that's evolved so much. You've had, had an evolution of, of um, user experience and web transactional technology now to the state of the art, which is Amazon's one-click purchase. Uh, data availability changed so much. So now you can call up data via API and get it in real time directly. You don't have to fill in a form of applications. You can just pull that in. So we've automated that, Joe, as you've seen by running quotes on our site. And then the data analytics are very different. And this is probably the biggest one that, that FEMA is the biggest in the market because they were the only game in town from 1968 when they started till say 2005 or 2010. And what changed was high-speed computing allowed the analytical models to run flood risk. So for example, an insurer was not willing to take the risk on flood because you just couldn't model it in 1990. The computing power wasn't there. But now with CatRisk and some of the other really advanced modeling firms, you can. And they run, for example, we run 50,000 simulations of hurricanes and flooding events in order to assess the risk at every single location in the United States. So with those things changing, then when you enter a, 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 an address on Neptune's website, within one second, we call it 50 different data sources that includes flood analytics, elevation of the home, structural characteristics of the home, distance to coast, all kinds of different things, and then evaluate the risk right then and there. So we already know by the time you've lifted your hand off the keyboard, we've assessed the risk, we've assigned a price to it, we've evaluated aggregation to make sure we don't sell too many policies in one small square mile, and, and also assigned it to a bucket of capacity. Uh, you asked also about the evolution of it. So we set that up and that, that was you know, the state of the art as of 2017 when we first started. It was still two minute quote to bind and we had all those, all those things. But we're now on version 105 of our risk assessment and, and rating engine. And most of those changes within those 105 have not been rate changes. In fact, any of the ones that are rate changes, most of them have been rate reductions. But the each of those have been enhancements to add more features and more technology that comes in, weather analytics and even better modeling and evaluation of, well, when a hurricane hits, it's not just the tidal surge, when it, it's a Hurricane Harvey, for example, or Florence, and it sits over the, the area and doesn't move for three days and dumps 50 inches of rain like Harvey did, well, that's a different aspect of the model that needs to be incorporated. So all those things are continually being updated it's amazing the wave of innovation and tech that's going on in flood insurance right now. It's just, uh, it's just fantastic. So great business opportunity to start this company that did that. And it's turned out that, yep, it, it was the right thing to do and it spread all over the country, but it also is helping solve the coverage gap, which is important to us. Wow. That's, that is just, that's an amazing story because it talks to what's happening in other facets of insurance 
but it's also happening in other facets of flood, right? We saw the first street data that's come out. We've seen uh, the technology around uh, about two years ago, FEMA updated its LOMA guidance that you can use LIDAR data and rather than going out and doing your actual elevation certificate. So we're seeing this evolution in the industry at many levels um, to make not only consumer experience better, but also to solve some of these challenges that haven't been able to be solved in, in 50 years. Tim? Yeah, I, it just gets me thinking and my wheels turning on like, you know, how you guys have to take these models into this analytics and factor into that 500 year storm that the consumer doesn't think about. You know, I mean, like you said, when we have, you know, 65 million people at risk or, you know, that number and it's, most of them are due to those, those, those storms that sit over there and gave you that 30 inches of rain or 50 mm -hmm. inches of rain, you know, and those are the people that are at risk. You may be in a low lying area that's five miles off the coast, but you're going to get, you're going to get flooded. And that's the part that people don't understand. And I, and we're trying to get that to the consumer. And that's the first thing that pops up into my mind. When that's the hardest thing. I, I, I agree. How do you, how do you get people to buy a product that they don't want and are not aware that they need? That's a really tough problem to figure yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and you've mentioned it a few times, Jim, it is a societal issue. You know, and I did a, I did a paper about mandatory purchase a few years ago and we looked at some lending information. We looked at, actually, a couple of national banks gave us some inside peeks at their data. And we were able to look at kind of what the effectiveness of mandatory purchases. And the conclusion that we came to was not that mandatory purchase is good or bad. It's that we have a societal issue that relies on mandatory purchase to basically make uh, flood insurance an effective product, which is, which is, to your point, it's a societal issue, right? And at the end of the paper, we conclude that there needs to be two worlds of flood insurance, mandatory purchase and voluntary purchase. People need to be able to say, I have a risk. What is that risk? And how can I insure against it? And, and that's where I think the technology, in, and to Tim's point, in these areas that are perceived to have no risk, um, you're quantifying that in a way that says, yeah, you have a risk and maybe it's small or maybe it's huge, but we're able to actually quantify what that risk is. Yeah. Yeah. And until like the lending, maybe the lending is the first thing that pushes this because it's, you know, a 30 year mortgage working into 2050 at some point, and maybe that's, they start occurring these losses. They're going to start looking at it a little differently, but you know, whoever that first lender is, it's, yeah. Yeah. A couple points on that. I, I want to touch on the societal issue again. Yeah. That that if we think about if you take the two polar opposites, let's say you have a town with no one has flood insurance and you have a town where everyone has flood insurance and they're right next to each other and an event comes and massive flooding occurs. Well, we can use Galveston, Texas as a really good example. In 1900, a very catastrophic hurricane hit Galveston, Texas. At that point, Galveston was the biggest city in Texas. It was a huge port. It was a thriving casino town. It was just the place to be. It was the future of Texas. And then this hurricane, unnamed at the time, but this hurricane came through and literally wiped out the city. It took over 10 years to even rebuild the city and never to the level that it was at that time. Houston became the port. That was the, the incentive for Houston to grow as, as, a, as a city. The, um, 
the point there is that if that town has no flood insurance, then the reliance on the federal authorities, the state authorities, and the local municipal authorities to bail people out and help 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 people recover from personal loss, from personal um, um, health issues and 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 medical issues, that's that's just overwhelming to a local community. And so the proof is there that the higher the concentration of flood insurance in a in a town the faster the recovery of that town, because you've got private money coming in that's augmenting the public money that's coming in, and the public money can be better focused on infrastructure rebuilding and, and big projects. Yeah, and, and that is that goes to a, to a point that we've been making for about two or three years now, which is, uh, you know, the buckets, you know, flood insurance should be used by a community as a bank account for recovery. You know, a community should be using the idea of flood insurance as that bank account of how much money do I have in my bank account of recovery? Because, yeah. you know, when that big event comes, you know, the, the problem is, as we all know, is the federal IA, individual assistance, is only $35,000. That's mm -hmm. not getting anyone back into their homes in some of these large events. So you're absolutely right. And I think it really does speak to that 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 not it's not even a requirement for flood insurance it's how are we going to collectively help our communities as a whole by purchasing this product now one of the things too and you know I want to I want to talk a little bit about some of the tech that I had mentioned earlier that's emerging in the industry beyond insurance um, the biggest name recently was realtor.com that announced that they would be publishing flood risk information from First Street Foundation and I believe some other sources on their website in order to help homeowners quantify their flood risk. And there's been pushback. Uh, some people have been excited about this. Some people have said, no, you're, you're going to hurt values and, and there's, there's some concern. Um, but either way, they did it. And I think it's, it just goes to, you know, kind of that leap into bringing flood from something that was kind of a discussion that homeowners had individually when it was required to bringing it out into, into the public, right? It's something that's now becoming a conversation in our daily lives. And as Tim knows, you know, the coalition has had to move in the last three years or so into this discussion of, flood used to be its own topic and then climate science used to be its own topic and now they can't be talked about independently anymore it's all being talked about in the same world so talk to us a little bit about your your perception of this uh this realtor.com data being published how you think that will affect the industry and how neptune is kind of reacting if if at all to that so I was on a, a panel discussion yesterday with the Fair Foundation, and it was about the, the real estate industry's involvement in helping people become aware of their flood insurance risk or their, their flood risk. And, and it, was, it was very interesting because there are two representatives from the real estate industry, one in Florida, one in Missouri, that were very much advocates of, of awareness of flood risk. But historically in the real estate industry, it's been something you don't talk about because if it has the possibility of stopping a deal from going through when someone finds out that their flood insurance will cost them $2,000 a year, then that changes the, the math, that changes the equation of what they can afford from, their, from the percent of their income that's allocated to mortgage interest and insurance and taxes. Um, 
so so it it's um one of the conclusions of the discussion yesterday was that the front line of this whole conversation is actually the real estate industry. We've worked hard. Floodplain managers uh, in every state do a fantastic job of trying to educate people of their flood risk and build mitigation strategies as well. Um, insurance agents are great. Usually those that sell flood insurance and are aware of it are, are good educators and trusted advisors to people. But the ones that are in the total front line of the whole thing are real estate agents. And historically, they really have not wanted to engage in that. I went to the, uh, the, the, the leading re-conference in Las Vegas in March, right before the whole world shut down. <laughs> Last place I've been in, nine, in eight months. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I talked to hundreds of real estate agents. And the, the main conversation I had was they said, you mean there's an option other than the NFIP? Wow, I I I didn't know that. Yeah. So so you to your point now. Sorry for the long lead-in, but getting to your point about uh, Realtor.com and now Zillow announcing they're opening up their own uh, real estate arm. That uh, that is a really good evolution where people can go for free and see what the flood risk is for any property. And, and there's a site associated, you don't even have to go to realtor.com really, there's a site called floodfactor.com that's the, the same site that's the source of the data that is posted on, uh, on realtor.com. I, I think that's a, a really, really big plus to have that there and be a part of the, uh, the awareness. And the only, only other thing I'll add here is that you have to disclose when you sell your home, you have to disclose that there's been mold in the wall or if whatever, all, you've got these disclosure forms that are endless now. Shockingly, in most states, you don't have to disclose if you've had a flood. So I yeah. think it would be also good to have a little more transparency about the history of flooding at a home. Yeah, that's one of the things that Joe and I have brought up in several podcasts is having some type of database available for, you know, a national database where this stuff's reported for able to help realtors, insurance agents, insurance companies um, you know, figure out what the losses are on some of these prior properties because there's no way for us to really know without we, we take the word of, you know, unless we look at a building card and kind of match up, oh, look, they had a repairs done. It, it lines up with this storm that they had two years ago. Yeah, I didn't know, you know that. So yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, so I guess, you know, that's the part that we got to figure out, you know, um, for me in that, but your point with Neptune and, you know, private coming into the market, I think it's really, we've seen it kind of revive the realtor market in the coastal towns here in Massachusetts, Joe, and I can tell you that because three, four years ago, we were talking to people on the NFIP. My policy's going up to $9,000 from $6,000 because they're in a visa, you know, all well, now there's another option for these people and it's kind of, rejuvenated right. the sales and people are able to be buying these homes. Again. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. To, to, to that point, Tim. So, so there's this discussion of cherry picking and are the private flood insurers coming in and just picking the best policies off the NFIP and then leaving the NFIP even worse off. And that's just a total right. fallacy. You, you can, you can dissect that equation pretty, pretty quickly. Yep. Um, in the case of Neptune, we, we say, yes, if you enter an address, we're going to provide a quote 91% of the time. And more than two thirds of the time, that's less expensive than the NFIP's policy. So that we're just one flood insurer. We're one of the largest, if not the largest in the country for private flood insurance. But 
there are now, according to the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, there are over 120 private flood insurers in the U.S. And, and there's at least one in every single state. So most people in the U.S. now have an option other than the NFIP, though they're largely unaware of it. <laughs> they, most people do, do have an option. Yeah, and I like, you know, we had Chris Heydrich um, on our um, podcast earlier this year. You know, Chris and I sit on a couple boards together and, and is a good friend of the coalition. Yeah, Chris is great. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, he, he has a really good uh, saying that kind of sums up exactly what Tim was just saying. He goes, you know, if we had had this type of robust market back in 2014, 2012, that, that realm, we may not have seen the, the cries we saw after Bigger Waters was, was, was implemented. You know, we saw 25% annual increases, you know, these subsidized rates all of a sudden went away. But the market now is doing that on its own. A lot of the market is actually taking away some of these properties that have seen these huge increases and moving them into the world of private flood insurance. And I think it's a strong point because it goes to the fact that, you know, there is a place uh, and an option. Uh, and, and again, also, and, and I know, Jim, you can speak to this, which is this idea that you're going to have a market that, you know, all of a sudden the market pulls out and you're forced to go back to the National Flood Insurance Program. We're in a place now where if a market pulls out, you've got more markets to go to. So it's, we're no longer, we're really getting to a place in, in general with, with, like you said, 120, 140 insurers that are out there, private flood insurers, where people have those options that kind of like with homeowners, they can move around to different options and, and find a home. You know, I thought it was really interesting. I had an insurer the other day, we had a severe repetitive loss property that I, I was, I was looking at. And, you know, what was really interesting is normally 99% of the time, it's like, okay, that goes with the national flood insurance program, right? That's why it exists. We had a private flood insurer that actually wrote it for half the cost. And it's like, you know, with all the claims wow. disclosed, you know, and, and it just goes to the point where maybe we're not in a place where even those can move all over the private flood, but there is going to be a company out there eventually that has an appetite for everything. That's absolutely right. And I've, I've spent a lot of time with various Lloyd syndicates and reinsurers in London and Bermuda and in the U.S. And believe me, they, they all have different risk appetites. There are some that only want coastal V zones, believe it or not. There are some some reinsurers, that's what they want. Some will not write anything within one mile of the coast, total opposite. Some will only take X zones, some will, it, whatever. It, it, it's all over the map. So once you, you roll it into 120, and now there are more, that's a, I think a late 2018 or early 2019 number yeah. I see. But, but you, you put all that together and, and there's a high demand for virtually, you know, a large majority of the risks within the NFIP. And believe it or not, like we all mentioned, we're getting close to the end of the, uh, the time here today, which I know we all said would, would come quick. And I feel like we've been on the, on the podcast with you, Jim, for about five minutes. So yeah. we're covering a lot of ground. And, 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 and we, I have a couple more questions I want to make sure that we get to. And, and the first being, you know, two, two, you know, our listeners are, are mostly, you know, stakeholders with some type of interest in, uh, flood, whether that be a homeowner or consumer that's looking to purchase flood, whether that be an industry expert that's looking for some type of insight into the industry. Overall, what would you tell somebody listening to the podcast about private flood insurance 
and the flood industry from your perspective in general that you feel is really the most important thing that they need to know right now? Well, yeah, a, a couple points on that. One is I'll, I'll veer into climate change for a second, that sure. this, uh, this issue is not going away. So if you're trying to decide or think you're on the edge of whether you may or may not need flood insurance, you're not in a high hazard area technically according to a 30 year old map. Well, the, the actual, actual risk is, is better indicated if you go to a floodfactor.com or you go to the MCC site, um, static storms producing 50 inches of rain like Harvey and Florence or Florence was like 35 inches, higher wind speeds, uh, Isaias that came up the coast this year and took out everything from Miami all the way up to Massachusetts. It was it was all the way along. Uh, you had another storm last year at, at um, uh, Labor Day. For let's see, this storm that's about to hit uh, Delta in uh, Louisiana will be the sixth hurricane to hit land this year. Uh, Mississippi River flooding last year lasted for seven months. Anyway, it, we could go on about climate change. So it is absolutely real. There will be more floods. There will be more options for flood insurance. But when you look at the average cost to rebuild a home, let's just take Massachusetts. The, I don't know what the average cost of construction is in Massachusetts, but I can guarantee it's greater than $250,000. And that is greater than the top limit of the National Flood Insurance Program. So anyone who has a home of that scale and has an NFIP policy is probably underinsured. And they're, and they're thinking they're okay, but, but actually you're underinsured. And one of the things that the private insurance market has brought to, to the game is better coverages and higher coverages. So with Neptune, for example, you can get up to 2 million on coverage on your home. You can get half a million on your contents, but also you can get temporary living expense. If you have to leave your home because you, your, your town is getting flooded, then that's okay. If you buy the TLE, which only costs 10 or 20 or $30, it's really inexpensive. Then you can be covered for your hotels and for living expenses while you're out of your home. Replacement cost. You know, nobody wants to buy another seven-year-old couch when their couch gets flooded. And so you want to buy a new couch. So get replacement cost on, on, on all those things. It's just greater options. Uh, you know, I believe, you know, Neptune, we do our, our best we can to try and provide all those options, but there are a lot of options out in the market of the, across 120 private flood insurers that bring opportunities to the table for the consumer that are very affordable and help them cover a huge risk that's part of what should be part of anybody's financial protection plan. Wow, that is, uh, that is... That is quite the synopsis right there. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a strong, I think that's one of the strongest messages we can, we can leave people with because of the fact that people are truly, you know, we, we've focused again at the MCC about trying to find solutions to what, what really hits people right in the pocket, which is where they're the most concerned. Um, I mean, I think Tim, Tim will say that we've got, we get about, you know, one or two emails a week about, you know, how do I reduce my cost in some way? And so options are obviously one of the strongest ways for, for people to do that. Um, now, now, Tim, do you have any, any last things for, for Jim? Yeah. I mean, when, I, when you started talking about all those options out there, you know, one of the things we've always tried to advocate for, for consumers is the increased cost of compliance. And, you know, up here in the Northeast, you can imagine most of our homes are pre-firm. They're not in compliance with the new flood high risk zones. 
Uh, and if they have a loss, they're, you know, that's substantial, they're going to have to, uh, you know, rebuild and they're going to have to rebuild to the new codes. So, you know, that's something we try to hammer home. It's again, that's a hard sell, but that's something that uh, we're trying to push more and more for, you know, more limits on the, you know, options, whether it be through private or NFIP that people want yeah. to pick up on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and mitigation is just the other side of the coin from insurance. Yep. You look in Louisiana, a number of other states are actually buying people out of their homes and saying, you've, there's one home in Louisiana that's flooded 42 times mm-hmm. in the lifetime of the NFIP. That's crazy. Every year they pay uh, whatever, pick a number, $50,000. They, they could write a $200,000 check and just say, this is the last one I'm ever writing. Go build a really nice house somewhere. Um, that hopefully it, we don't have that occurring of a lot of forced displacement. I'm not, I'm not an advocate for that, but I am an advocate for stronger building codes and, and what the coastal coalition supports and what the floodplain managers support of here where I am in Pinellas County, Florida, we're at uh, plus two. So you've got to be two feet above the hundred year flood level for any new build. But you're right, Tim, uh, much of the housing stock is, is pre-1980 and still sitting on a slab that's, uh, that's very low compared to the, the risk of flooding. And, and, and on that, you know, we're, we're talking about mitigation in the future. You know, we have Delta that's about to hit right about where Laura hit a few months ago. Um, we've had, to your point, at those, Jim, of those six hurricanes, I believe four at least have hit the Louisiana coastline. Um, when you see stuff like that happen, what is the future of flood insurance? You know, it's a question that we pose to all of our guests. You know, where are we going to be in five, 10, 15 years? It, will the market still be evolving? Will we be in a place where flood is commoditized, kind of like home and, and auto? You know, what do you see the, the future of flood insurance being? Yeah, there's some opposing forces here. One is that the reinsurers that back all of this, that you know, any, any carrier takes some portion of the risk, but definitely not all of it, or they'd be, they'd be gone. Everybody spreads their risk across the globe. That's why reinsurers are there. And then reinsurers have their own reinsurance. Um, reinsurers have taken some pretty significant losses in 17, 18, 19, and now 20. So that trend, is, it of course, will have an effect on rates. And that will put some upward pressure on the cost of flood insurance. As an alternative though, if there were only the NFIP and not a private market, then definitely there'd be significant increases. Uh, The NFIP with their risk rating 2.0, which is a new program they're launching in just about a year, October 1st, 2021, they'll actually give you an indication of what your actual risk rated property premium would be. Now they're capped at like an 18% year over year increase, but you could be in a $600 premium at your house and see that in the future, it's gonna be $1,200 or so or $1,500. So you know, you're gonna go up 18% a year every single year. Well, by having 120 private flood insurers around there, that spreads the risk. And the biggest factor on controlling costs of flood insurance is actually disaggregation or spreading your risk around multiple geographies. So I think that'll be an offsetting factor. I don't really know how much, but the, the fact of the matter is, and the points we talked about about climate change just a couple of minutes ago, climate change is real, it's happening, it's creating more flooding, and therefore more people will be at risk of flooding. There will need to be more people that have flood insurance and probably it will be more expensive. Wow. 
That is a uh, good, honest answer about where we're headed. I mean, I think there's no doubt about it. These storm events will have an impact. And I think they're all, I think we started by saying that they're all going to be related, right? Lloyd's is taking a hit from coronavirus. They're going to take a hit from uh, the wildfires. The NFIP is going to take a hit from these storms. You know, none of these events are unrelated and will all have an impact on each other, much like we've seen in the property market the last two to three years. So that's, that's a very good point. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being on the No Flood Newscast. This has been great. And, and it just shows, again, that, you know, our, our flood industry uh, as a whole uh, is really evolving in a way that's going to, uh, that, that is thinking about the consumer and is thinking of ways to really be innovative in a space that traditionally, as you mentioned earlier, for 45 years was not uh, a space where there was a ton of innovation. So again, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Jim. You guys do an amazing job. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here, but definitely you're part of the solution. The way you are educating people about flood risk and the way you're, you're, the, the videos on your site or the, the availability to go out and speak to different groups about flood risk, that's, that's fantastic. So really hats off to you and what you're doing and helping being part of the, part of the solution. Thank you very much, Jim. And Thanks, uh, Jim. thank you, Tim. And, and we'll talk to all of our listeners on our next No Flood Newscast. Thank you.